0: Hello, folks. Welcome to another edition of Inside the Marble Palace, Post Media Saskatchewan's look at the Saskatchewan legislature this week and all its goings on and COVID and budgets, and a lot of other things are going on. I'm Murray Mandrick, I'm political columnist for the Regina Leader Post. Uh, joining me, as he has for the last couple of weeks doing one hell of a job, and thank you for doing so, Alex Salome from the Leader Post, who's covering our legislature right now. Uh, hi, Alec, and uh, also joining me, Adam Hunter, CBC provincial affairs reporter in Saskatchewan, who's getting long in the tooth of covering this, aren't you? Boy. <laughs> Old veteran now, Marie. <laughs> old, old veteran now. Alec, we're going to start with you uh, because you and Adam both covered the uh, uh, mid-year update on the budget. Stunning numbers in terms of uh, the size of the uh, the deficit and the size of spending in particular. Uh, can you just give us a quick rundown of the, the number highlight, from, if you can, off the top of your head?
1: yeah so i think that the big number two big numbers to think about here uh one is that the deficit has gone up 97 million projected 97 million uh from the beginning of the year or when the budget first dropped up 97 million dollars and then there was a record payout to farmers uh a indemnity of 2.4 billion dollars because 29 percent of crops failed this year had a drought Obviously, that has a pretty big impact on our budget and we can get into a little bit about the messaging and wording around crop insurance and the payments
0: there. But okay I'm, you know, I'm old and boring and I'll, I'll save you the trouble let me do the old boring stuff and you can do the exciting stuff 2014 i think we changed to summary financial basis we have a pass-through cost of all crown expenses right now up to and including programs like crop insurance where provincial government contribution federal government contribution farmer contribution through through premiums but here's the interesting thing i'd like to ask you alex mm-hmm. why didn't finance minister Hartpower. what did finance minister Hartpower have to say about that because that's a key issue in terms of of, of how we got to the post mid-year financial uh, update mess that we were in
1: yeah the, the the ensuing ballyhoo coming from that so essentially what ends up happening is Hard uh, said that, you know, this was a strong year financially, you know, so far we've, we've increased manufacturing, uh, province isn't as reliant as it once was on mineral resources, extractive resources, uh, non oil and gas, essentially mining, and that there's more manufacturing happening. There's more revenue being generated, but were it not for that pesky drought, we would have been able to pay down quite a bit of our deficit. And the farmers essentially said, and specifically, uh, APAS, uh, agricultural producers, Association of Saskatchewan said that the issue there is with messaging because there's $1.3 billion left in that crop insurance fund. So essentially, what the reaction coming from this uh, mid year financial report was was a number of farmers in the province feeling as though Minister Harpower and her government had thrown them under the bus during what was a very difficult year. Again, like I said, this is a record payout for crop insurance, and roughly 29% of crops in the province failed. And that's that's a big part of the ensuing backlash to this is farmers feeling like they've unfairly been blamed for something and the messaging here from minister Harpower being for one there is things to be encouraged about um you know the health care costs were up uh, 250 million dollars in addition to what was originally uh, 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 projected but then there was also all of these other gains in revenues uh but it's the messaging, and that's that's what Ian Boxall from APAS had said is that they would have preferred the government not to have said that it was because of farmers and because of crop insurance that the deficit isn't getting paid down because they feels those this kind of language and that sort of explanation might lead to a bit of an urban-rural divide, or, you know, a worsening of an urban-rural divide that we currently experience within Saskatchewan. Well, that's interesting,
0: and here's where I'll bring in Adam because. Um... Help me if I if I'm wrong here. I'm new to this province, but my my understanding is that the farmers are pretty supportive of the uh, S.A.S. Party government in general. And while APAS might not necessarily be the most enthusiastic uh, uh, supporters of uh, the S.A.S. Party government at any given moment, two things. One of which is Alex Alex, uh, described. They seem to have a legitimate case about what maybe uh, the finance minister could have said and could have uh, done better to structure uh, her argument. I think Alec did a better job of explaining it just now than she did. And secondly, what really stuns me or puzzles me was the over-the-top response in the letters because that's something I actually don't see very often or haven't seen very op- often specifically aimed at farmers where they're using terms like uh, ignorance deceit uh, uh, almost in threatening language like if we want to work together in the future uh, you better not uh, you better with tr- with track that re- retract that letter and maybe uh, take a more uh conciliatory cooperative approach to government programming do we have a good explanation at this particular point as to why the government chose the the path it did i know the premier didn't seem completely delighted by it
2: yeah it it was interesting because it happened on a day where the premier was speaking at an ag conference he wasn't even in the house And the letter, uh, the release from from APAS was followed by a letter by, co-signed by Minister Donna Harpower and Agriculture Minister David Merritt, you mentioned some of the words in there, also willingly misinforming its members was said in that letter. Um, Harpower later called it an an attack on government and she backed it when she talked to reporters afterwards. I think, uh, as you point out, the Saskatchewan party represents every rural constituency except the far north. And, you know, there there are many polls would back up that people that are on the farm producing uh, are voting for the Saskatchewan party. So this sort of comes as a surprise, I think, on the surface to people who are, um, you know, even casual watchers of Saskatchewan politics, that there would be this argument in such a public way and that the, the, the letter from the from the government wasn't a private letter that was just sent to APAS. It was sent through the government channels for the media to look at and then ask questions about. And the following day, we got a response from Todd Lewis of APAS, who, you know, essentially said We're, we'd like to have this explained to us in a way that doesn't uh, accuse us of being deceitful or trying to misinform our members. And we talked to Premier Mo about this in the Scrum, uh, and he said, you know, this could have worked, been worked out through phone calls. And so that was a little bit different in message and in tone. And he also, you know, explained the, the financial reporting process, why they reported it the way they did. And I think, Marie, and, and you know, in my experience, yeah, with all these budget updates and the mid-year financial updates, specifically with this current finance minister, there's always an overarching story there's always something that she'll point to that says you know things are good because this or things aren't doing so well because this and last year we had the pandemic budget that was the headline uh, of the government's budget and this year where we have the drought and has how it was explained i think and the messaging is is what's really caught people off guard and also created this this division or this conflict that I I, I don't think people were necessarily expecting. And, and we'll see if it dies down after this, Uh, but it definitely was a different, different tone from the government than we've seen.
0: Well, the bizarre thing to me is that neither side are completely wrong because uh, the Uh, finance minister as well within her jurisdiction and right to make the point and she probably should have done that initially saying that no crop insurance is still a pretty viable program we still have uh, uh, 1.3 billion I think in in the kitty right now to basically deal with a bad year interestingly and I thought uh, Alec you did a good job of pointing this out in the story your story is that she's not really ready to come to terms with the fact that we might be experiencing a whole uh, uh bunch of years of of drought and uh and crop payout uh if not consecutive certainly within a, a short span because a that is secular uh her notion that we only have we've never really had two bad years in a row uh, doesn't seem to be my recollection of saskatchewan farming but more to the point and she she also didn't s- Really suggest that this was a problem related to climate change. Uh, is that where things maybe got off the rail in terms of the actual messaging of of of, of government? Because they seem to go madly off in, in a very strange direction here uh, and weren't really focused on what it was that I think they should have been saying.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it it kind of seemed like this. Um, I don't know, almost like an appeal to common practice, right? You won't get back-to-back years of drought. You, you aren't going to have consecutive instances of drought in the province. And I mean, Herpower, Minister Harpower has said that she's worked as a producer previously and she's experienced droughts. I do believe in well, 2002 for certain and uh, one previous year. And she said that in her experience, you don't get them back to back. But I mean, anybody can look out the window right now and realize how warm it is and realize that you know things are a little bit different and maybe it would behoove the government to insulate themselves against the possibility of additional droughts and against the possibility of this matter of climate occurring. I mean, we don't really have snow on the ground right now. And then yep. coming out of a, a drought year, I mean, we're we're a few weeks shy of winter. You're going to, I think, have a number of people be very, very conscious of what snowfall looks like in the province, especially
0: in the drought. Effect. This would be a good time for me to inject what it was like when I was a boy. I think, you know, because <laughs> Saskatchewan is a lot less flat. Climbing those mountains, uphills both ways, folks. But you're right, and this, this this is a is I think a problematic thing for government uh, right now in, in in terms of trying to combine a whole series of complicated messages. Like the, the the funny thing that strikes me is right now the government is facing I think some of the biggest crisis that we've seen in a long time. Like I mean, this budget, as you point out, Alec, is 2.7. Um, a billion dollar deficit and that's an unheard number even to an old guy uh, like me that walked to school barefoot you know and that, that's also uh, 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 a, a stunning reality in relation to the environmental issues and the drought cycle is whatever it may or may not be and the reality of COVID-19 and I'm, I, I guess moving this forward Adam I'm thinking if you have all these problems as a government right now Why on God's green earth would you go looking for new ones? Because you you pretty much have a whole plate before you, yet every time um, we have had an issue at the legislature this this week, whether it was the still unexplained need for uh, security changes that will see uh, responsibilities removed from the sergeant of arms and given to uh, a still – undescribed or undisclosed body to cover everything outside the chamber and well into the uh wascana park into the grounds around the building or the explanation that i think we got from dustin duncan this week about why uh when we have the fantastic news that kids are getting vaccinated uh they they put all these hoops and and uh and uh and, and barriers to jump through and over is to allowing your kids to get uh vaccinated what is it happening right now that you're seeing consistently or inconsistently on the part of the government where they seem to be off message simply because they're looking at uh, issues either in a way or looking at, at other issues that are less consequential to people right now uh, than maybe the problems at hand? Is Is this something – that's that's that people are concerned about in terms of a, along the tooth government or because that's one of the theories we're kind of hearing right now well
2: i think some of it is as you point out there's there's sort of uh you know enemies or they're making enemies with things that uh that we didn't see coming to be quite honest like we, we work in the legislative building no one's raised with us that there is a security issue and we're we're staff in there um and the government's pointing out that you know, there's been this changing world and there's all this danger out there and uh, things aren't being properly investigated. And yet in two weeks of questioning, both from the media and the opposition, the minister responsible for this this bill and in explaining it, hasn't explained what these security threats are. And yet the province is moving to be the only province in Canada which will have uh, their security force not report to an independent speaker, but to itself and they can't explain that they can't tell us how much it's going to cost they can't tell what the what it will look like they can't tell us necessarily why there's a need for change Uh, and the the explanation sort of the defense of this has gotten uh you know i think smaller and smaller and some of the answers from christine tell when they started off with you know all these proclamations about why this was necessary and then it's been well this is a, a change we need to make this change. We need to make this, uh, you know, for for structural reasons, jurisdictional reasons, and not still explaining why. In the case of schools, we have uh, no one really expected when the government announced the the vaccines for kids that they wouldn't be available in schools. And as typically is the case with shots and boosters throughout the year, a certain kids of a certain age can get a vaccination in school with bringing a consent form. And it's happened for years and years. And these are typically kids in grade five and six and up. And now the government's saying uh, without a uh, you know a real uh, warning that oh no we're not going to do this anymore the COVID-19 vaccine is different plenty of people in healthcare are saying well we didn't do this with our va- other vaccines when they came online this is creating more barriers and I think also you know the government saying well we're going to have this we have this great um, takeoff in vaccines right now uptake well that happened with every stage of the vaccines there was a time where we wrote a story about the 30-year-olds rushing out to get their vaccines and take selfies well then guess what that dropped off a cliff and they still remain one of the lowest vaccinated groups and there are going to be kids in in certain socioeconomic settings in certain communities where their parents may not be able to get them to a vaccine clinic there there may be a number of reasons why that is and if they were sending a form to school and getting it done in the school with public health which is as is the case many years then that would maybe Increase uptake. The government's maintaining that. That won't be the case, that there's many different options. We'll have to see when the numbers come out. And, and uh, that just to stay with the Education Minister, another memo this week after a couple of interviews on CBC where he said, you know, well we're, we're going to honour uh, the public health order in an outbreak, but we also want kids to be allowed to do extracurricular in an outbreak if there's a public health order that says, well, maybe we're not going to, like the case was a couple of weeks ago with the SWIFT Current Volleyball Tournament. And then also going further saying we should have the school divisions reach out to third-party facilities including municipal hockey arenas and ask them to exempt kids who are unvaccinated going outside of the vaccination policy of those buildings just to let them play their sport or in part participate in their activity and a lot are, are pointing out that you know earlier in the year and for the duration of the pandemic the education ministers and current this current minister have said We want school divisions to make their own decisions based on the advice that they're given from their medical health officer, all but except in this case. And um, that's another thing that I think, you know, parents and a lot of health officials are are up in arms about, that they don't want the government interfering at this level when they've said they're hands off.
0: And and I think in a situation like this, quite obviously, governments get off course. That's why we hire, they hire, we hire as taxpayers, people to... uh, put them back on course in particular any uh, particular area and obviously critical right now is, is healthcare delivery and and still dealing with these very issues you're talk, talking about. We need obviously firm hands on the rudder but that's a whole new problem this week for uh, uh, the SAS party right now because they lost a pretty good solid uh, firm hand on the rudder in Scott Livingstone who uh, mysteriously or I wouldn't come mysteriously but uh, unbeknownst to us, at least, handed in his resignation without any clear explanation uh, or even kind of hints as to what it's about. Alec, pick this one up for us if you possibly can. What's going on uh, In or what do we know and not know about uh, Scott uh, Livingstone's uh, resignation from Premier Scott Moe yesterday?
1: Yeah, it's mostly question marks at this point. Um, we we know that it, his resignation was handed in last week. We don't know why. Um, we know that there's somebody in the interim uh, filling the uh, SHA CEO position right now, but we 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 weren't really able to suss out too terrible much from the the uh, premier mo about why and 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 how this happened. You know, the, the last time we saw Scott Livingstone at a POC meeting would have been. November 2nd and you know we were all kind of wondering you know where, where Scott had gone, but he assured us that this had nothing to do with Livingstone who oftentimes seemed to take a bit more of a stark message with with COVID-19 he seemed to be the one that may, maybe spoke a bit more frankly and shot maybe a bit more from the hip during those meetings I'd say you know you, you, you'd get a bit more uh, you know of the unvarnished truth from Scott Livingstone in those those meetings I feel and we and asked if that had anything to do with uh, his resignation Scott Mo said no, we asked if he was fired, premier said no, so we really don't know what what led to this right now, but I mean it does leave the question of we're losing a a senior bureaucrat as we're, you know, facing yet another wave, a new variant, Uh, you know, we saw in Ontario they reported a thousand cases for the first time since May, so I mean we're, we're nowhere near out of the woods on this thing yet, and I think that there's a lot of questions about what SHA leadership and what the, you know, Bureaucracy looks like with one of its senior members gone as there's additional challenges that we're going to be facing well
0: let's let's take a look at that as we wrap up uh, Adam in terms of what it's going to look like because we'll pull, pull back the uh, the curtain a little bit because uh, we as reporters to be frank and full disclosure we're probably chasing rumors of this story for a little while before it happened and all of a sudden it becomes a bit of a, a public thing and when you're not given i think explanations as to oh well he's he's having opportunities to go elsewhere or he's just decided to retire all the things that kind of eventually become public uh because or uh, be, uh, that initially become private or there are initially information as to as to what uh, has really happened here have not been delivered to at least me or anybody else that I know of in terms of this, we don't have any explanation. So I'm I'm wondering about two things, the impact of that and the questions it's going to raise, particularly in relation to what I think Alec rightly pointed out is that, that he, this was the guy that sometimes delivered the starker messages about, uh, about the realities of COVID-19. But I'm also kind of wondering, Adam, as we wrap up, what, it's going, what impact it's going to have on things like P-O-C-A, uh delivering people uh, out of province if we continue to need to in dealing with the actual crisis situation, and I guess meeting the challenges that still exist as uh, we kind of enter uh, you know, the concerns Alec was talking about, the fifth wave, other things. What, what's the likely impact here, do you think?
2: Well, the, the unfortunate thing is that the SHA didn't put anyone up for an interview. And when you have the, uh, the senior uh, most... Uh, official at your organization who's making $400,000 a year and is one of the highest paid government employees and, you know, led the uh, the authority through amalgamation. And now through the pandemic, this is no, you know, junior figure who's who's stepping down from their position. Um, the premier and uh, board chair Arlene Wilkes both said that there wouldn't be a disruption, that they're then the, they gave a reasoning after when we asked the question about why the delay in notifying the public and and the media. They said, well, we were trying to get our interim person in in place. Uh, but the timing is, is 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 strange, as Alec points out, given what's what's ahead. I think the person's position and profile is also you know something we should we need to note, and the fact that this this came last week. The premier couldn't tell us the last time he met Scott Livingstone. He said it could have been a week or two ago. He didn't know the exact time when he was informed about the resignation. I think when the SHACO resigns, uh, you know, he said he was surprised by it, the Premier. I think that probably warrants the public finding out about that. Um, this is a, you know, taxpayer-funded uh, position. And I think the the timing of 10.40 on a Thursday morning in the middle of question period, that's a strange time to put the news release out uh, when you know that Reporters and others have been uh, asking about this. I'm sure officials within the SHA were asking about it because the rumors were out there. Um, there, are, there are more questions than answers, unfortunately, at this point. And the to, to, to get back to the POC, the the POC stuff. Scott Livingstone's function was effectively replaced by Marlo Pritchard in the fall when the government created this uh, new uh, sort of reporting structure, and it, public safety was going to be in charge of the pandemic response. A lot of the questions that would go to Scott Livingstone were given to Marlo Pritchard, who's a former police chief and head of the public safety agency, and or they were maybe deferred to um, someone else in the SHA. That's totally fine. But we had relied on Scott Livingstone for a long time uh, in those meetings. I think the public had come to know that person, and it's unfortunate that we don't know some of the reasons behind this. Um, and ho- hopefully we'll get some answers sooner rather than later, and hopefully the SHA will put uh, someone up to, to answer some questions, and hopefully we'll hear from Scott Livingstone as well. Uh, we asked a question about severance to the Premier yesterday. He said, well, if you resign, he's not entitled to severance, but he wasn't 100% sure. When we followed up with the SHA, they said well, the, all of that sort of info would be in the uh, f- financial reporting at the end of the year because that has to be made public, so there's also you know questions there um but the timing to me is the most interesting thing and also obviously the reasons why and um until those some of those answers are put to rest if we don't get those answers people are going to continue to speculate unfortunately
0: it's fascinating stuff this week just endless and and weird turns that we weren't ex, uh, ex, expecting uh, uh, thanks for covering off so much ground this week guys uh we'll hopefully see you sometime uh again soon on inside the marble palace we wrap up next week don't we yeah we do we do we do we do do. well so is it uh alec uh adam thanks so much and uh, we'll we'll see you next time thanks take care